thank Brother Doug and thank the ladies who so faithfully play for them leading us today in worship. If you've been following us through our journey in the book of Romans, one of the things you uh, realize is that Paul had a burden for Rome. Uh, he was in his first century culture. He was living in the world of his day. We're living in the world of our day. I know that the first century and the 21st century are different, but only different in terms of the way they got around, uh, the way they thought, the way they lived, essentially the same. It was a pagan world that Paul lived in, pagan culture. We essentially live in a pagan culture. The things that were going on in Paul's day, they're going on today. All the, all the sin that, that we see in our world of today is prevalent in our culture. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And so Paul had a burden for Rome. and it, it became the ultimate passion of his life to go to Rome. He was willing to go to Rome at any cost, even if it cost him his life. But you understand that Paul's urgency was ultimately God's urgency. The whole issue in this, and it still is, is that God knew that time was running out. He knew uh, that a moment was coming, a tipping point in human history. When if something wasn't done, that there would be no way to save men from the wrath of God that was coming upon the world. So uh, this is a theme in the book of Romans. It's really, as I have studied the book of Romans before, I didn't realize it was so much a theme in the first chapters. This theme of the wrath of God, which Paul mentions over and over and over. And here in our text today, he mentions our need to be saved from the wrath of God. And that is the title of the message because it comes from the scripture itself. So Paul was thinking about this tipping point when time was running out, when if it wasn't done in due time, if it wasn't done at the right time, at the right moment in history, then it wasn't going to get done. So this is what Paul longed to tell the people in Rome, wanting to tell them that the wrath of God was coming, wanting to tell them that the clock was ticking, that time was running out. And as we confront our culture today, as we live in the world today, you and I also know that the clock that was ticking is still ticking. Over and over throughout, uh, Paul warns us about the wrath of God. But in the fifth chapter, after four chapters of not mentioning one word about it, in the fifth chapter, Paul introduces us to the love of God. So this morning, we're going to talk about what seems to be, in these verses, two contradictory themes. On the one hand, the love of God, and on the other hand, the wrath of God. So look with me at Romans chapter 5, beginning to read in verse 6, we'll read through verse 9. Paul said, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more 
shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So first I want you to see that Paul speaks about this tipping point in history. What was the condition of humanity at that tipping point? Paul says in that verse 6, he says, We were still without strength. We were helpless. Some translations say uh, utterly helpless, powerless. In other words, we were hopeless. And that was not just true of some people. It was true of all people. In fact, it had been abundantly proved throughout the history of humanity that the thoughts of men's hearts were only evil continually from their youth. A person can't help themselves. They, they can't change themselves. Certainly they can't save themselves. Left to self, a person is doomed to face the wrath of God. But what you need to understand is that this is still true today. It is, it's true of every person, not just some people. So Paul talked about this tipping point of history. In other words, what I'm talking about when I'm getting to the tipping point, I just want you to see that the Bible says here that when, when God did something, he did it in due time, at, at just the right time. You might say in the nick of time when it couldn't wait another season or wait another day. That's the picture that you need to see. Uh, first, that then the wrath of God is coming, and God wanted to do something about that. Second, that there is absolutely no reason that this wrath of God shouldn't fall on you, or for that matter, on me. So why is this tipping point of history so important? Because in that moment, God did something. He did something because he knew, if he didn't, that the wrath of God would fall on us all without exception. Now, let me explain to you. The wrath of God has been demonstrated throughout history. The love of God was demonstrated supremely at the cross. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But the wrath of God has been demonstrated throughout history. For instance, when the wrath of God, when the judgment of God was about to fall on Sodom and Gomorrah, you will remember that Abraham had that dialogue with God as he prayed because Lot, his nephew, was in Sodom, and he didn't want Sodom, a lot, to be destroyed. Lot and his family with all of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abraham prayed and said, God, if there's a certain number of righteous people, eh, maybe 50 or 40 or 30, he, he negotiated with God, or 20 or, or 10. If, if there's just a few righteous people there, God, will you spare the city on account of the righteous that are there? And God said, yes, I will spare the city on account of just a handful of righteous people. Well, the whole point of that passage is that, of course, there was not a handful of righteous people in, in, in Sodom. There was not one righteous person in Sodom. And this is Paul's point in the book of Romans. That, and he uses the Old Testament to prove it, that there is none righteous, no, not one. That was in, in, the, in the Old Testament world. But that was also true in the world of Paul's day. None righteous, no, not one. Not only was it true in Paul's day, it is true today. It is true in the world of our day that there is not one righteous person on this planet at this time who could avert the coming judgment of God. The judgment of God is coming. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good. There's none who seeks for God. There's none 
who understands. Paul said, put them all in a basket, put them all in a bag, and they're all together become unprofitable. That's his picture, and the wrath of God is coming on this world. God knowing that, what did God do at this tipping point of history? That's the second thing I want you to see. It says, in due time, at the right time, when we were about to run out of time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. So what he's telling us about is what he did, what Christ did, and what usually doesn't happen even in the world of today. It's just a plain fact. There are very few heroes today. Even, we've seen it on the news, sadly, even when a room full of children are under attack, the police, even the best of them, sometimes fail to act with courage even for, for the sake of a little child because it's just, a, it's just a fact. It's just a fact. Nobody really wants to spill their own life in behalf of someone else. It does happen. Paul acknowledges that, but it is incredibly rare. But even in those rare instances, when someone acts heroically, they have no power to save their own soul or the soul of someone else. Then Paul changes direction. He stops looking at man and his need and in his inconsistency, and he begins to look toward God. What happened in that tipping point of history when we were running out of time? He says in verse 8, Romans 5, 8, But God, but God it showed his love for us. He demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now this passage has been called the John 3.16 of Romans. We know John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. God so loved the world, the ungodly world, where there was none good, no, not one. God so loved the world, a world upon which the wrath of God was coming, a world that was powerless, yet without strength, utterly helpless, that in order to block the flood of his wrath that was coming upon this world, God so loved that world that he gave his only begotten son. That's John 3.16. But what we're looking at is what Paul tells us in Romans, that by sending his son, God was demonstrating his love. He was showing that love. Here's the next question. To whom was God showing his love? Who was God loving in that moment? Well, the Bible says clearly he was loving the ungodly. He was showing his love to those who were doomed to be swept away by the flood of his wrath. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God intervened. He stepped down, he acted, he demonstrated his love, and he did so in the most graphic way possible. Christ died for us. That's the reason Jesus came. He came to demonstrate his love to people who were sinners. Now the question that I need to ask you, are you a sinner? Are you? Not long ago I talked to one of the sweet young girls in our church and we talked about these things. We talked about how all of us are sinners. And this is one of the sweetest little girls I have ever known. But when I asked her if she was a sinner, she said that she was. Do you know that about yourself? Unless you do, you can't understand this verse that to demonstrate his love, God sent Jesus to die for us 
while we were still sinners, he died for us in our spiritual weakness, in our moral failure, in the foul filth of our souls. He died. He died for us. He died to turn the wrath of God away from us by taking the wrath of God upon himself at the cross. So in fact, the wrath of God and the love of God came together at the cross. And even though I'm a sinner, God showed his love to me. He showed his love to you in a way that was unmistakable. Were you worthy of that? You, personally. No, you were not worthy of that when Christ died. You are not worthy of that now since Christ died. You will never be worthy of that. You will never be right with God on the basis of your own goodness. You might say, well, I'm, I'm trying to do my best. Well, you can do your best all you want to. It will never be good enough. For it remains to be true that there is none good, no, not one. My only hope, according to Paul, is to be declared right with God. That's what the word justified means. It means to be declared right with God on the basis of something Christ has done. And that is by his blood. I am declared right with God by his blood. Earlier he said, I am declared right with God by faith. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Even a sweet little girl knows that she's a sinner and has no hope of heaven apart from Jesus. Do you know that about yourself? So look again at Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the message that Paul was compelled to share with first century Rome. He looked at first century Rome, this culture on which the judgment of God was coming and the clock was ticking and it's still ticking and the judgment of God is going to come on our culture just like it was going to come on their culture they were going to die and stand before God in judgment I'm going to die and stand before God in judgment you're going to die and stand before God in judgment and why did Christ die he died to save us from his own wrath to save us from judgment and hell, the suffering and the torment and the fiery fury of his wrath. There was no other hope than that. Final question. What is the message that we need to deliver to the 21st century? We've said that this book of Romans is Paul's letter to the 21st century. It's because, and the reason I say that is because it's relevant. It is relevant. So <clears throat> how do we reach our culture? How do we reach them? Do we reach them by telling them, does the church make its mission uh, telling the, the culture that abortion is wrong? And it is wrong. But is that our mission, to announce that to the culture? Is it, uh, is it our mission to announce to the culture that homosexuality is wrong? And it is wrong, but is that our mission? Is it our mission to announce to the culture that adultery is wrong? And it is wrong, but is that our mission? Is our mission to announce to the culture that lust and lying is wrong, and it is wrong, but is that our mission? Well, all that's wrong.
But our mission is to tell all these people who are all sinners, all of them, and you and me, and we're all equally sinners, by the way. Remember that the ground around the cross is level ground. The wrath of God, when it comes on one sinner, is going to come on us all, on all of us, just like it was going to fall on Lot if he didn't get out of Sodom. It's going to fall on us if we don't get out of town because the wrath of God is coming. But our message to the 21st century should be that God demonstrated his great love toward us and so desires to save us that while we were still sinners, while we were at our worst, Christ died for us. Look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. By him, through him, in him, and in him alone are we saved from the wrath of God. Now, there's a message in that blood, and it tells me that Jesus died for me. It tells me that he loved me. It tells me that the wrath of God that would by all rights have fallen on me was poured out on him. And now when I believe this great message of God's love that was so dearly, clearly demonstrated on the cross, when I put my faith in him and in what he's done for me on the cross, I am saved from the wrath of God. That's what I need to be saved from. That's what you need to be saved from. Somebody says, why do I need to be saved? Tell them, you need to be saved from the wrath of God. And only Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come. That was Paul's message to the Thessalonians. There is no other escape than to put your trust in the Lord Jesus. And remember, trusting Jesus is not an intellectual thing saying, oh yes, I believe that. Like the table that we've used as an illustration. I believe that's a strong table. Yes, it's a strong table. I can slap it. I can sing about it. I can believe it's a strong table, but not until I put my weight on it and, and stand on it and show that I have my complete confidence in the strength of that table have I trusted that table. Otherwise, I've just acknowledged it. And there's some people in the church who've never truly trusted the full weight of their soul upon Jesus Christ and upon what he has done on the cross. And there is no other escape from the wrath of God than that not by adding your goodness or your offering or your efforts, but only through Christ and his love and his blood. John 3.16, right here in the book of Romans. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life and be saved from the wrath of God. Let's pray.